Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Good, everybody. Welcome to episode number 37 of The Look Ahead, part of the SB Nation NFL show. I'm Rob Stats Guerrera, and with me, as always, RJ Ochoa from Blogging the Boys. Good day to you, sir. What's going on, Stats? There's a monsoon happening outside of my house. Uh, I'm working on maybe ordering a kayak. Maybe Amazon can get it here in time uh, so I can paddle to you. Because, I mean, my first thought in any level of emergency is get to Stats. He will always figure it out. That's the really... Uh, I, I forgot it. I know we talked about it, um, you know, a few weeks ago. Modus operandi, right? That's that's the my modus operandi, and really the modus operandi of all people at the Espionation NFL show is stats will fix all of our problems. Wow. Okay, I'll sign up for that. You were sending me weather maps before the show started. <laughs> you got locusts over there. I don't know what the hell's happening where you are. Yeah, uh, a little bit of a peek behind the curtain. Um, I have to take a trip out of town, um, you know, and so we were already kind of just for a day, but we were kind of like game planning when we're going to record and what's going to happen. I said, really, we kind of have a window because uh, there is a huge storm and we are kind of in the middle of it, Stad. So uh, we're going to cross our fingers and hope that everything works out. Uh, Another peek behind the curtain. I always like to show off stats behind the curtain. Uh, the <laughs> night that we recorded after the third round of the uh, or the third day of the NFL draft or the second day of the NFL draft, when we recorded at 1 a.m., my Internet was awful and stats put up with it for like an hour uh, and stayed up, I think, till like 3 a.m. So uh, he truly is the goat. The things we do for love, <laughs> as uh, Jamie Lannister once said. Um, so hopefully we get through this episode. What we want to do today, and by the, by the way, before we get started, uh, rate, review, subscribe to the SB Nation NFL show. It really does help. If you have a question, drop it in your review. We will answer it on the show. What we're going to do today is we want to look at things that we are 100% sure of right now. RJ has his list. I have a list of my own. Uh, because, you know, the draft is over, free agency is over, things are kind of settled now, so we kind of have the most complete picture of what the 2021 season is going to look like that we've ever had. So we have our, we each have our list. RJ, I will give you the first crack at it. What is the first thing you are 100% sure of? Oh, wow. I get to go first. Uh, it's not my birthday, but um, it is a special day nonetheless. And the first thing, I, you know, I feel like we have spent so much time trashing different teams. Um, <laughs> you like to trash every non-San Francisco 49ers team, uh, specifically the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, we have sort of universally trashed the Denver Broncos. We agree that they didn't do enough in the NFL draft. Um, I think we've all trashed the Jacksonville Jaguars at different points. I feel like the Carolina Panthers have escaped the trash of uh, like NFL lore and not entirely. I know a lot of people, myself included, came on uh, different airwaves. I know I said here on the Espanation NFL show how they failed just as much 
as the Denver Broncos in the NFL draft. But I actually feel like they failed more uh, because the Broncos, you know, not that this is a you know thing to hang your hat on, but at least acquired Teddy Bridgewater prior to the draft. And the Panthers gave him up, right? Like, like I'm not saying that that's a huge move, but like it is a quantifiable move at the very least. It's a quantifiable gain that the Broncos had and therefore a quantifiable loss that the Panthers had. I know they traded for Sam Darnold, but that that's the thing. Like of every move that has been made this NFL offseason, there is an argument to be made that Sam Darnold is the worst one. And the fact that the Carolina Panthers picked up his fifth year option, the fact that they're like doing this in, in Matt Rule's second year with them, like they're the most directionless team in the NFL. And I really feel like they're in contention to have the number one overall pick next year. They, I think, really were hurt the most by the fact that the Deshaun Watson situation has just spiraled into he's radioactive right now. He's untouchable. I think they were all in for him, and I don't think they had a backup plan. And that's sort of the, you know, the problem that you can get into, especially with an inexperienced front office like Carolina has. You know, Tepper's new, the owner there, Rule's obviously a new NFL head coach. Like, I don't think they had a backup plan necessarily. Tepper was very public about his desire to get a quarterback. And then when that didn't happen, it was like, oh, well, uh, we got to get somebody because we said we were getting a quarterback. And so we're trading for Sam Darnold, who I'm convinced the only reason that Sam Darnold still has a starting job in this league is because he was drafted where he was drafted in the first round. If you took away his name and knowing he was a first round draft pick and just said, this guy has been in the league for X amount of years. Here's what he's done. Here's his film. He would never get a shot in the league. Like, if you just blind resume Sam Darnold, nobody would want him to be your starting quarterback. Instead, Carolina's giving up draft picks to acquire him, and I just think it's because they didn't know what else to do. I know that you, um, speaking of trashing people, you went on the oddcast and trashed me and said that I wasn't a big believer in the Washington football team, which is true. I'm not. Uh, however... I mean, has Carolina improved in moving on from Ron, Ron Rivera to Matt Rule? No, like I don't, I don't see any way that they have. And I'm not even that high on Ron Rivera with the Washington football team. I, I just, I feel like every, and you're right. Like, I, see, like I don't know that I can even give them credit. And I know you're not doing that for, or, or not credit, but just a pass for the Deshaun Watson thing falling apart because that wasn't like a plan. I think that you look at all these other teams like the Miami Dolphins, even the Jacksonville Jaguars, even the New York Jets now, there was some semblance of a plan, right? Like at some point in time, a group of people got together, sat in a room and said, this is what we are going to do. We're going to take the following actions and then we're going to get to this place and we're going to execute this. We're going to draft Zach Wilson, uh, number two overall, whatever the case may be. Even the Deshaun Watson thing was the result of pure luck. Like, even if you just consider the fact that he wanted out of the Houston Texans, that was a totally non-predictable, totally random thing that happened potentially to their benefit that now was taken away. So, like, I don't think you can even give them. I know you're not like, oh, man, they really, you know, got unlucky. I mean, they have nothing they have done in the Matt Rule era has shown any semblance of a plan. And that's because David Tepper acts and walks and talks like he's the dude with the big plan and there's nothing going on there they are the most directionless team in the nfl right now and they need new uniforms just throwing I, that out there i disagree um what see, see like i actually was thinking about this other day and i've said it to you before it's really really embarrassing that both the falcons and Bengals botched 
um, you know, their <laughs> new uniforms, because if your uniform scheme or color scheme is black, white and something, it's really difficult to mess up. Right. Like just generally because black and white work so well with uniforms. The Panthers obviously have silver in there as well. And their uniforms are great. They're all black oh, Panthers uniforms. No. are they're among the best uniforms in the NFL. We can at what? least admit this. You uh, are drunk right now. Are you day drinking? No, I'm not. Although it's really dark outside, so it feels like night. If I had a, a nightcap <laughs> right now, I don't think anybody would blame me. But, I mean, their uniforms are fantastic. I don't love the logo. Like, the logo is so awkward. I know, speaking of Sam Darnold, he tried to draw it very awkwardly. It's not. It's it's a very awkwardly shaped panther. Um, I would like to see more of, like, a, a traditional panther, like a four-legged, you know, actual mascot as opposed to just the head. Um, but that's a whole different subject. But either way, like, again, what have they done that that proves they're working towards anything? They have an opportunity, too, because the division is sort of in a state of transition. Obviously, Tampa Bay is still there. They're the Super Bowl champions. We get that. But the rest of the teams in the division are sort of there the saints don't have a quarterback now that drew Brees is gone I, and i think that they could take advantage of that if they had sort of a plan if they had sort of put things together but they haven't and so they're just part of that sort of scrum in that division and yeah i have low expectations for carolina and it's a shame because when when rule first got in there i was kind of hopeful he seemed to kind of convince me with some of the stuff he was saying but it sort of has taken a turn i'm off the panthers train the best thing that has happened to the panthers since matt rule took over is that drew Brees really 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 started to decline like again <laughs> something completely and not that he wasn't declining before that because he, he kind of was but it's been more dramatic obviously in the matt rule era but i mean nothing he like i mean i really 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 think that there is this level, and I don't want to accuse Matt Rule of hubris, but obviously, you know, a lot of people have connected the dots, you know, to the idea you've said it yourself that he didn't want anything to do with the New York Jets, right? When he was connected to them a few years ago. And so now there's this level of hubris like, oh, well, I'm going to take Sam Darnold and I'm going to show you, you know, like I'm going to show you what, what I could have been if you had allowed me to fill this staff with the people I wanted to, whatever. And it's like, this is like, you're going down such a wrong path. And I know there weren't a ton of quarterbacks available in free agency. And maybe the plan is to tank and to be awful. But then don't give up legitimate draft capital to acquire Sam Donald. It's a very, like, you know, they're, they're going right. They're going left. It's it's so difficult to to really nail down. Um, and, and you would think that we would be pleased by it. But I'm just not. Nah, I'm so out on the Carolina Panthers. Well, and forget free agency. You could have drafted Justin Fields without having to oh, do man. a damn thing. Seriously, like how uh, – like we're we're gonna history will look back on the Broncos and rightfully so because of John Elway's history at failing with quarterbacks in, in the post Peyton Manning era, which really wasn't a success as much as it was just like getting lucky. Um, and but so like while people will kill the Broncos again, the Panthers will skate by when they passed on him first. You know, <laughs> like that's the more ridiculous thing. Uh, and I hope J.C. Horn's an incredible player, but in the name of a corner, in the name of anybody else, is ridiculous to me. All right. I think we've bashed the Carolina Panthers enough. Let's move on now to the first thing on my list. I am 100% sure that Julio Jones is going to be traded before the start mm. of this season. I think that there's a few things working in favor of that. First of all, Falcons want the money. They need the money, RJ. They have less than $500,000. They can't even sign their rookie draft class right now. Like That is a hideous mismanagement of the salary cap. 
And so part of them is that they kind of need the money. They kind of have to do it. But also, there is a clear market for him. I saw a crazy rumor today that I hadn't read anywhere that the Patriots tried to trade up to get the fourth pick in the draft and have Julio be included in that deal, which would have been an absolute blockbuster. But I think the Patriots still have a clear need for a wide receiver. The 49ers and Julio Jones have seemingly been linked for this entire offseason. I don't know what San Francisco could give up to make that happen at this point, but they would need another uh, number one wide receiver. And obviously Julio has that history with Kyle Shanahan. The Ravens tried to trade for Julio Jones earlier uh, in before the draft. It didn't work out, but they definitely need a number one wide receiver. So there's clearly a market for him. And honestly, I think if they did trade him, like it would hurt their offense, but not that much. They still have Calvin Ridley. They drafted Kyle Pitts at four. Matt Ryan is still a very good quarterback. I think all those things kind of converge and come together. And it just screams out to me that Julio Jones has played his last game for the Atlanta Falcons. Let me first say, Stats, that you have an addiction. Um, You are addicted to establishing that certain NFL stars are absolutely going to be traded in this particular offseason. Like, we're not even in a different offseason. Like, first it was Russell Wilson. Now it's Aaron Rodgers. Now it's Julio Jones. Like, you just love the juice. You love to talk about current NFL stars. I never said Aaron Rodgers is definitely going to get traded. I said Russ was. And the only reason he's not, by the way, is because he is seemingly backed off and stopped putting the pressure on the Seahawks, which if he didn't, he would have been traded. Well, and by the way, this is a whole different subject and something that BLG and I have talked about on the NFC East mixtape, that newest episode of which dropped on Wednesday. Um, but um, the market is also kind of dry for us. Like, you know, Chicago doesn't necessarily need a new quarterback. Yes, I think you could throw Vegas out there and maybe next year we're talking about the Giants or Eagles. But again, totally different conversation. Julio, I don't I mean, I agree with you, obviously, that they need financial flexibility. And that seemingly is a, a driving force behind this potential idea. But I, I mean, how does that make them better? Like, you know, I, I mean, I I can name uh, if you if you outlined, OK, RJ, you run the Atlanta Falcons. These are the 10 things you can do to create cap flexibility in 2021. OK, what are the non Julio Jones ones? Because those are the ones I want to do. Right. Like nothing, nothing could potentially be worse than that. Um, I really think and this sort of ties into one of the things that I'm 100 percent certain of. Um, so to kind of make this a co thing. And I know you also feel similarly here. Uh, BLG wrote about in his power rankings, the number of games that each team was uh, favored to win. And he, the, the Atlanta Falcons are favored to win seven games. I am so confident that they are going to crush that because I believe Julio Jones isn't going anywhere. They're that close. Like, I, I honestly think that the Falcons, in fact, I'll say it now, the Atlanta Falcons are winning the NFC South. I really, what? I totally believe that. I, I really <laughs> think that we're going to see a revitalized Falcons team. And I think Julio Jones, and I'll say this, I'll couch it with this. If Julio Jones is traded, I'm allowed to revisit my take. Uh, but assuming Julio Jones is on the Falcons team, I just really, really, really believe in this offense. I mean, what what offense on paper outranks this one? I mean, and I don't mean to sound like a homer here, but you could put Kansas City, you could put Dallas up there. I mean, on paper, with Julio Jones on the Falcons, outside of the Chiefs and Cowboys, who is more? T- who who would you rather use in Madden besides Atlanta? The Chargers? Oh, dude, what? No, no way. I mean, I love Justin Herbert, but no way. What are you? T- are you serious? Atlanta has at at this point with Julio Jones, they have Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, and Kyle Pitts. I don't even care who's running the ball for them. That offense is going to be insane. It, it's would, been insane. 
it's going to be good. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I The Falcons have a very good offense. But if you're asking me who I would rather have, Buffalo I would rather have. I think you can make mm, okay, an argument for I think you can make an argument for Cleveland, to be honest with you, especially if OBJ comes back and he's healthy. Kansas City, obviously, you mentioned. Do you know, last season was a down year for Julio. Only played in nine games, only caught uh, 51 passes, 771 yards, three touchdowns. Do you know that prior to that, prior to 2020, do you know how many straight years he had gone to the Pro Bowl? Not that the Pro Bowl is the biggest measurement of anything, but do you know how many years in a row? Three. Six. He was a six-time straight Pro Bowler prior to last season. In 2019, which he only played 15 games in, by the way, caught 99 passes, almost 1,400 yards, six touchdowns. Julio's always been the like mysterious unicorn when it comes to touchdowns, as we all know. In 2018, Calvin Ridley's rookie year led the NFL with 1,677 yards. I mean, he averaged 104, almost 105 yards per game. Like, yes, we know and, Julio Jones is good. What, uh, so where why are you would going? you give this up? Like what? And what? Like why? What? What would? What would compel you to do this? It, like this honestly feels like if I was anybody associated with the Atlanta Falcons, and they said, "Look, dude, if we trade Julio, I would stop them right there." Like I don't even care what the end of that sentence is. I am in no way. And, and why would you trade him after the draft when you can't even utilize the resources until next season at the very soonest? Well, I think the thinking is that they're not competing for a playoff spot in a Super Bowl this year. Julio's getting up there. If you're going to move him now, it's, you know, you kind of have to move him now, given his age and his injury history. There's still a market for him. If you're going to move him, now's the time. And if you're not going to compete this year anyway, get some draft picks for next year. You know, you're, you're clearly transitioning to a new era. I don't know how many more years Matt Ryan is going to play there. Probably two, maybe three. Uh, I know he just said he thinks he has a lot of football left, but whatever. And I think that so that's that's why you move him because you're going into a new era. You can get something back for it and help kickstart the rebuild. So I agree that you certainly want to move on from Julio too soon as opposed to too late. And you don't have to look much further than his draft mate and AJ Green, who, by the way, was on Kyler Murray's Instagram story catching passes. And I saw Cardinals fans are all pumped about it on Reddit. Um, but Cincinnati <laughs> held Cincinnati held on too long, right? Like obviously they like they AJ Green was in the trade mill trade rumor forever and they never, ever, ever pounced on it. And they obviously didn't end up with anything as a result of it. Julio's still an elite wide receiver. But I mean while maybe the Falcons aren't going to win the Super Bowl this year, maybe they don't even win the NFC South. Do you really think the Falcons aren't a playoff team? Like, say say, say you, the Bucks are a better team than them, right? That's one, right? And that's their division champion if we want to go that far. Um, I'll put the Cowboys ahead of the Falcons, and I don't think any other NFC East team is better than them. Uh, in the NFC North, I mean, the Aaron Rodgers situation is fluid, but even if you count the Packers, do, would you really take any non-Packers NFC North team over the Falcons in 2021? Minnesota. Yeah, I would take Minnesota. Okay, fine. There's one. And then in the NFC West, you think everybody sucks except for the Rams and 49ers. Um, no, like, Seattle would be better. The Rams, the 49ers. Like, I don't think the Falcons are making the playoffs. I'm, I'm stunned at this, that you're so high. totally making the playoffs. Like I said, I think they're easily crushing that. I think the Falcons are winning like 11 to 12 games. Easily. Wow. So, uh, okay, this dovetails into my next thing as I have been crushing them. Now you're going to get back at me because I think Arthur Smith is going to have more wins than any other rookie head coach this year. Like, I'm confident of that. But um, it's because of this, like, how many rookie or, or new coaches taking over take over situations like this? It's it's generally like what Robert Sala is doing or, or what Urban Meyer is doing, right? Like, it's generally an entirely new regime. It's so rare that somebody comes into, like, 
here, hey, this Ferrari, you know, yeah, it's got 20,000 miles on it, but it runs like a beast as opposed to you having to build your whole car. Exactly. Like new head coaches do not inherit quarterbacks like Matt Ryan. And I know that, you know, a lot of people don't like Matt Ryan, but the dude produces like from the second he got that job, all he's done is put up massive, massive numbers. And I, there's no reason to think he's not going to do that now. Arthur Smith, Arthur Smith is a good offensive head coach. You were just talking about, you know, the rest of the unit there and how strong they can be. Like, they are not going to be a dumpster fire. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. But you look at the other rookie head coaches. Urban Meyer, I feel like, is way over his skis and doesn't even realize it. Like, he can't even – he can't even – his biggest controversy now is a backup tight end. Like, he can't even get the Tim Debo situation right. Nick Sirianni, I don't think is bad, but he plays in a tough division. Dan Campbell, I'm I'm not sure he's just not an idiot. Like, I know he was joking around with the pardon my take guys about wanting a lion and training it to take a dump on command. But, like, dude, you're a head coach. Like, what you say and do matters. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not liking anything Dan Campbell is doing. I, I, to me, like, how does he have any credibility in a locker room? And... Clearly, the Falcons, to me, are set up to have the most success. The division is not strong, like we said. So even though I've been crushing them in terms of the rest of the NFC, in terms of the rookie head coaches, I think Arthur Smith's going to finish with the most wins. When was the last time, just off the top of our heads here, that a coach took over a situation like this, right? Like where he comes in and kind of like the coach is like the Indiana Jones idol swap. You know what I mean? Like everything else stays in place. <laughs> um, but like, you know, it's it's not a complete rebuild because – I, I can tell you the most recent example, and it didn't go well, and it's the Dallas Cowboys. But, I mean, at this time a year ago, and certainly at the beginning of the season, in all the preseason you know, projections and predictions and things like that, there were so many people who thought the Cowboys were going to be an elite contender, a serious team. And maybe they would have been if Dak Prescott hadn't gotten hurt. Um, and they obviously had some issues before that. But, I mean, it is so rare. And I honestly, before that, you know, before Mike McCarthy taking over for the Cowboys, the most recent example is Matt LaFleur taking over the Green Bay Packers. And I think that sometimes, and I'm really hoping that I'm kind of wrong about this because incidentally, Dan Quinn is the new defensive coordinator of the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> but sometimes, and like, sometimes that goes both ways. Sometimes you, you just, like a team needs a, a new a new change, an, an influx, right? They need new, new wallpaper, right? Like sometimes that helps like a new voice in the room helps. And like, that goes a long way. Look at the Packers. I mean, the first two years since Mike McCarthy has gone, they win 13 games. Like I'm not trying to take anything away from Matt LaFleur or, or boost Mike McCarthy, but like the fabric of the team didn't change that dramatically. Sometimes, you know, that's just an impediment that you have to get past. And I think that things with Dan Quinn had run their course. I think we would both. And a lot of people would agree that like, what happened with Dan Quinn was inevitable the moment they lost the Super Bowl. Like it, it, it simply was like that was go like there was going to be a time where like everything just collapsed. And I think the Falcons have had enough time to finally breathe. And they're they've they're incidentally because they're a bird, they're like the phoenix rising from the ashes. And yeah, I really and I think that we're going to be sitting here, you know, in November in early December saying, man, how, why did, you know, why did the Jaguars hire Urban Meyer over Arthur Smith, right? Like, you know, look at what he did in his offense and blah, blah. Like, I really think he's going to be heavily in contention for coach of the year because I think the Falcons are, are going to be contending for the NFC South. I think they're definitely going to be a playoff team though. All right. We have spent a huge chunk of the show in the city of Atlanta. Let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll get to the rest of the things on our list that we are 100% sure will happen, including RJ dumping on an entire division in the AFC. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. 
That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly, it's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We are back here on The Look Ahead. All right, RJ, we are going through our list of the things we are 100% sure of right now. And you sent me your list ahead of time, and I see that there is a whole division in the AFC that you are just writing off. Yeah, so when you were talking about Nick Sirianni, you mentioned the NFC East as being a tough division. Um, I don't know what that means, but it's definitely a bad division. Um, And so if we were to... Add all of the wins from a cumulative standpoint, a composite standpoint. Um, I think that obviously the NFC West might have the most when this season is all said and done. Um, I know you would certainly sign up for that because the 49ers are going to win 15 games or whatever the case may be. Um, I never said that. I I think the division with the lowest cumulative score at the end of the 2021 season is easily. And by easily, I'll say they win this prestigious award by at least five wins or five losses. Um, is the AFC South. I, I think if if we're talking about, I, I didn't totally look at the bottom of BLG's power ranking specifically to avoid any sort of bias for this particular exercise. I think that maybe of the bottom, like five teams in the NFL, I think that you can make an argument that at least two and maybe three are in the AFC South. I can't argue with you. I mean, other than Tennessee, the division might not have another team that finishes over 500. The Colts, might look good to you, but go check the early schedule for the Colts. It is an absolute gauntlet. I don't know who they angered, but oh my goodness. They go Seahawks, Rams, Titans, Dolphins, Ravens. That's their early slate of games. That is a meat grinder. And if they early, and you know, Carson Wentz isn't totally comfortable there, I could see him just going in the bag and just spiraling downward and pouting and much like he did with the Eagles last year. So I agree with you, RJ. I think that division could be hideously bad. Well, not only could he potentially pout and and kind of, you know, sulk inwardly, um, but the Colts have literally a vested interest in, in yanking him, right? Like if he's really bad, you know, pull him, protect that first round pick because they don't want to lose it in the name of experimentation. I think maybe the the worst two teams in the NFL, well, two of the three worst because the Panthers are in that group, uh, to go back to my earlier take. But, I mean, the Texans are going to be so bad. The Jaguars are going to be so bad. And, like, we're not even talking about, like, the Jaguars in a football sense yet. Like, the Jaguars the Jaguars have had one of the worst offseasons in the NFL, for especially for a team with, like, a new regime. Right? Like, generally, and, and we kind of talked about this with the Falcons, but, like, when you have the new head coach and you have the, the number one overall pick, like, it's generally – you know, not getting anywhere out of the comfort zone, right? It's the most predictable, most boring answers, like, because you're trying to start off on the right foot with this. This is the regime that's going to get it right. 
and the Jaguars have made several missteps. Like, it's not like they've done one thing wrong. I mean, Urban Meyer has already angered people in different capacities, right? Like, with the strength coach that he hired, that was a horrible move that he had to walk back. And then the Tebow thing, and, like, I don't have a, a strong take on Tebow one way or another, um, but, like, it is at the very least, like, poking the football universe, which is not wise if you are Urban Meyer right now. What Whatever gain you can potentially yield from Tim Tebow as a football player is not worth what you're dealing with right now, especially if you're Urban Meyer with the past that you have and trying to convince everybody that you have this whole thing under control. And then, like, I, I'm kind of with BLG. I don't get the flack for, you know, having Travis Etienne work out at wide receiver. But, again, like – because of everything you've done to this point, and we're only at like mid-May, it becomes a bigger meme because you've already stepped in it several different times. And so, like, that's just the Jaguars and the Texans. And like, if the Colts are bad, I know that Pete and BLG said on Monday Football Monday, uh, no offense to either of them, but the worst episode in Monday Football Monday's history because I wasn't there, uh, <laughs> th- that they have the Titans as a potential follower this season. So, like, and I think that makes sense that if the Titans are going to regress this year, um, that whole division is like, I honestly think that whole division is going to win less games in 2021 than it did in 2020. Do you think that's fair? Like that idea? Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And everything you said about the Jaguars, by the way, I completely buy in for. I heard the perfect description of Urban Meyer, and this is not coming from me. This actually came from uh, RJ Bell, who hosts a show on Fox Sports Radio called Straight Out of Vegas. And his description of Urban Meyer was he loves to take the credit. And anything bad that happens, he acts like he wasn't in the room for. Whether it was the coaches he had in college that had issues with domestic violence, whether it was this thing with Tim, with the strength coach, well, I, I didn't know him, but I knew him. Whether it was this thing with Tim Tebow about how, well, I didn't, I didn't hold the tryout with him. My other coaches did, and I'm going to listen to what they say. Like, he's always the guy that he tries to make it seem like he was in the bathroom when the bad stuff was going on. And that just gives me a bad vibe. I want no part of that. I'm down and out on Urban Meyer and the Jags. And I agree with everything else you said about the rest of the division. We know Houston stinks. We talked about the Colts already. And Tennessee, like I continue to not believe in Tennessee, even though Ryan Tannehill has been great for them. But there's, there's too much trauma there from his days in Miami. So I'm just sort of waiting for the Miami Ryan Tannehill to show up. And maybe he will now that Arthur Smith is gone. But I agree on that division. It's going to be bad. I have two quick questions for you on the stats. The AFC South last year won 26 games across the four teams. So are you confident that they will win less than that this season? And that's with four more opportunities for wins. See, the Jags are going to win more than one game. So I don't think they're going to be like Trevor Lawrence is good enough to get them at least two wins. I don't think that's a huge stretch. So I don't know if the bottom is going to, but Houston might only win one. So that's that they might replace. Uh, and then Indianapolis is not winning 11 games, even with 17 opportunities. Yeah, they'll probably, you know, it'll probably lower. It'll mm-hmm. probably be lower, I have to say. And then Tennessee's probably not, like Tennessee might still be respectable, but they're not winning 11 games. I don't think so. And so that's where like this whole thing is really coming, you know, tumbling down. My last thing, these are the teams that won, uh, we'll do six or fewer games last season. Um, so quickly, yes or no. Does this particular team, you know, we'll run through, win more or less than six games in 2021? The New York Giants. More. So you have them improving. The Dallas Cowboys. More. Improving. The Philadelphia Eagles. They won four games. Yeah. uh, I think they might. I think six is actually the number on them. Okay. So you have them improving. The Detroit Lions won five games. Uh, Less. 
Less than six. Okay. The uh, Carolina. So maybe they have five. Maybe they push. The Carolina Panthers won five games. Oh, they're not winning more than six. Okay. So the Panthers are one of the teams we're putting here. The Atlanta Falcons won four games. They'll win more than six. So improvement. Uh, I know the answer here, but the 49ers. And they'll win more than six as well. The New York Jets. More than six? No. But they'll win more than two. So they'll at least improve, yes. right? Yep. Um, the Cincinnati Bengals won four games. I think they improve, obviously, because of Joe Burrow. But I have a Bengals take in just a moment. Mm, yeah. Okay. The uh, Denver Broncos won five games. No, I think that's it's, assuming Aaron Rodgers doesn't end up there. That's right where they are. Okay. The Jaguars, you think, are improving from one, but still probably not more than six, right? Um, and the Houston. The Houston Texans are definitely not winning more than six games. So my point is no, like, yeah, the only teams who won six or fewer games last year that are likely not going to improve are the Panthers, who we've already dragged, and then the AFC South, and maybe the Denver Broncos. <laughs> so, I mean, like, that's it. Uh, but, okay, what else are you 100% certain of? Stats. I am 100% certain that Sean McVay is going to win the coach of the year. Oh, uh, uh, And here's, uh, I don't know why you're poo-pooing. You're very quick to poo-poo. There's a couple of things you need to win coach of the year. You can't be in the playoffs competing for Super Bowls every year. That's not how you win coach of the year. Agreed. The best way to win coach of the year is to exceed expectations going in. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I feel like people think that Sean McVay is taking a huge risk by acquiring Matthew Stafford. And I don't know if it's because they have given up so many first round picks or what the deal is, but people are acting like it's a risk. When in reality, he just got better at quarterback. And he's not even the favorite to win the award. I think uh, Kyle Shanahan and there's a couple other guys who were the favorite. McVay had the second best odds. He was plus 1,400, which means you bet $100, you win $1,400. And, you know, he also has this narrative working for him. His defensive coordinator, who was great, has left. He's now the head coach of the Chargers. So In the same city, same building. Yeah, like all that narrative, right? It'll be three defensive coordinators in the past three years. So I think people are going to give McVay more credit when they do win. And they're not sick of him yet. Like they're not sick of Sean McVay yet, which is a factor. We don't like to give like awards to the same person year after year after year. And the Rams had a bit of a down year last year for them. I think everything is lining up. And when Stafford comes and he puts up the monster numbers that I think he's going to put up, people are going to be like, the boy genius is back. Coach of the year, Sean McVay. I think another, because you're right, like to win coach of the year or MVP, you need juice and you need narrative. And if you are a household name like Sean McVay is, you're, you have to have two things and you nailed one in that you people can't be sick of you yet. Like that's why like Bill Belichick doesn't win this or LeBron doesn't win MVP every year, things yep. like that. Um, and you have to have a setback. Like you mentioned exceeding expectations. Like I think that's why like Steph Curry will win MVP this year, right? Like you have to exceed expectations because you have to have had the setback. You have to have had the fall. So then it's almost a like reminder of like that person's great. We have to reward the greatness, blah, blah. So I think all of the the necessary requirements are there. I'm just not in. And I, I'm not not in because of the Matthew Stafford situation. I just I'm not I'm not in. I've said before, I think people have really 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 anointed Sean McVay in weird ways and some of that has worn off but that will that will come storming back stats like the moment the Rams are on Monday Night Football I don't know when that is off the top of my head but like that will be a long day if the Rams have like one loss to their name I mean like it will be like 
the first Sunday night football game where they host the Bears is going to be obnoxious just because like it's going to be oh it's because it's on NBC NBC is going to be coming off or finishing their Olympic coverage and it's going to be Super Bowl 55 56 on NBC but it's going to be like NBC Palooza and Sean McVay is going to you know He's going to be the pick, obviously, for a lot of people to win the Coach of the Year award, uh, which is why you did it. Although you were first, I'll give you that. And I'm just I'm like, there's a there's a little too much hype here for me, and I I'm going to stay away from that. I I'll even say right now, I don't know that I think the Chargers win the AFC West, but I think the Chargers have more wins than the Rams in terms of Los Angeles teams this season. So the I talked about McVay being the second favorite to win the award. There are three guys at plus 1,300 as co-favorites to win Coach of the Year. Kyle Shanahan is let me guess, one. Let me guess. Let me guess. Let me guess. Kyle right. Shanahan. Um, the other two are in the AFC. Oh, the other two are in the AFC. Um, Andy Reid, just because he's Andy Reid. Nope. Sean McDermott. No. See, this is what we're Bill, talking about because those are like – they were in the AFC championship game, right? So we're not throwing Bill them Belichick. in there. No. Bill Belichick. What? Um, Belichick's plus 1,800. Man, um, they wouldn't put Kevin Stefanski back up there. There's no way. Did they? Plus 1,300, Kevin Stefanski. Okay. Tied for the best odds. Take people's money. Um, Maybe like overcoming odds, maybe Mike Tomlin. That's my last guess. Nope. Mike Tomlin, not on the list that I'm looking at right now. The other guy with the best odds to win coach of the year, Kyle Shanahan, Kevin Stefanski, and... Sean McVay's former defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley with the Chargers, plus wow. 1,300. That's the L.A. factor, and that's the, like, little brother syndrome. I would take that. Like, that's that's a line I would certainly take, um, I, but I'll wait for, like, a Charger moment, you know what I mean, to, like, <laughs> for those odds to lower. Um, but I like that. But, okay. So, if Sean McVay's your top candidate to win Coach of the Year, you've made your case. If you had to assign a second person, like, your your second most likely candidate to win Coach of the Year, who is it? Not based on odds necessarily, but just based on what you like about their team. Staley's a pretty good one because he's a new head coach and he's got Justin Herbert and the Chargers, I mean, are coming off. Anthony Lynn is hideously bad as a head coach in terms of game management. And if they Uh, win the AFC West or even if they like sweep the Chiefs or something like that's going to go a long way at at sort of establishing himself. Yes, especially if they beat the Chiefs, because people are going to be like, oh, my goodness, Patrick Mahomes lost the game. Like we act like he's never going to lose a game. And so I think Staley is that's looking pretty good if I had to pick a second. Okay, Uh, this is a a nice segue. Uh, Shout out to me on for my last thing that I am 100 percent certain of, although it is the opposite end of the spectrum. And I'll say this. Neither stats nor I, nor hopefully you are loyal and incredible listener are rooting for anybody to lose their jobs. But things happen in the NFL. It's business, blah, 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 all the cliches. And so that being said, I think the coach who is most likely to be moved on first from by his team whether that's mid-season or as soon as the regular season ends is Zach Taylor like that is that is a situation that I don't think works out I've said this before that an unfortunate situation to be in is the head coach who lands the number one overall pick you don't want to be that coach You you don't want to be the coach that is really bad your first year and then gets the number one overall pick and then you know whatever because generally what happens is an organization looks at the number one overall pick and says, that's our future. We have to get the guy to come in and make him great because the guy that we currently have, the guy that that we paired the number one overall pick with 
isn't working out. I think a great example of this is like Lovey Smith in Tampa Bay was really bad, obviously, in the 2014 season, which landed number one overall pick. The Buccaneers obviously take Jameis Winston at the time, believed in him and said, you know what, Lovey, we need somebody to elevate Jameis Winston's game. We're going to go after Dirk Cutter, which did not work out. But like that's say that sentence out loud again. Right. The the important like idea here is if you're going to be a coach with a number one overall pick, you want to be the coach that makes the number one overall pick because that's what gives you the time. But if you're the coach who is already there and then earns the number one overall pick, you have to have success right away. And that's a difficult thing to do. And I I know we both think the Bengals will be improved, but I don't think they'll be improved enough to the point that Cincinnati is going to say, and I know that you've said before, they hold on to coaches forever, but I think they're going to look at Joe Burrow because now we live in in a financial world of football and and they're going to say after 2021, we have one more year left before he's eligible for a contract extension. We need somebody now. If I'm Zach Taylor, let me just make the case for me, right? So I come in, I win two games my first year. Then we get Joe Burrow. It's a really bad case so far. Like, <laughs> what? All right. Really well, like, I don't judge any coach on first year. Like, what? your first year, you're trying to get your own guys in there, new system, the whole thing, right? Then we come last year, we have the whole pandemic, all that stuff. I get Jer- Joe Burrow. We double our win total. We go to four that wins. That means nothing. Plus, okay. plus a tie. Let's say the Bengals win six games this year. If I'm Zach Taylor, I'm like, look, I'm improving every year I got here. You got me to build this program. That's exactly what I'm doing. No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, no, I, I no. You you have Joe Burrow. Again, we'll see if Eric Bieniemy. hopefully he is hired in the next coaching cycle. But if he somehow still is available, I don't know how. And, and, and we don't know. Like, obviously, a lot of a, a season is like the emerging of different candidates and as head coaches and whatnot. But I don't know how if you're the Cincinnati Bengals, you cannot look at Joe Burrow. I mean, because he is he's a uh, he's an uh, an hourglass. The sand is ticking before you're going to have to pay him big time money and you can't waste time. And I think especially if we fast forward to a 2022 offseason where Ben Roethlisberger has likely retired. And at that point, the Baltimore Ravens are going to have to give Lamar Jackson an extension in all likelihood. And soon enough, the Cleveland Browns are going to have to give one to Baker Mayfield like you're going to be last, you know what I mean? And so you're going to very quickly be looking at a world where John Harbaugh and obviously now Kevin Stefanski are running things. And you like you cannot go into that in, you know, all likelihood with fourth year Zach Taylor. You just can't. If this is the third year. Except I don't think the Bengals care about any of that, to be honest with you. I think their ownership is like, just make us in the playoff conversation and we're good. I do not think they care about winning Super Bowls at all. They were totally happy to keep running it back with Marvin Lewis when he was making the playoffs and nobody but nobody thought that the Bengals were going to win the title. Like, they were pleased as punch. They were totally fine with all that. How about this for a mega take? A mega take here, Stats. Uh Uh-oh, here we go. In Zach Taylor's the first coach moved on from by his NFL team in the 2021 season, whether during the season or at the end of it. And it is reported that the Cincinnati Bengals are interested in interviewing Marvin Lewis to be their head coach. Tell tell me that that is impossible. Tell me. No, I can't. I can't do it. I can't do it. 
because I could totally see that happening. We actually heard Marvin Lewis got a little bit of interest during the last hiring cycle. I he believe. was in, he was interviewed by the Cowboys when they hired Mike McCarthy. I mean, so, like, and, yep. and the, the conversation would be like, look, you know, we've we've finally gotten we've solved the quarterback issue, right? Like that was Marvin's big thing. Like he was he he obviously had Carson Palmer struggled, got Andy Dalton, and look he look what he did with Andy Dalton. Imagine what he can do with Joe True. Burrow. Yep. I mean, <laughs> I can see it. I, there is there is a world where that happens, and it might just be this one. Last point I want to make on this is your Taylor point's a good one because the other candidate that going into this offseason I would have said is going to get canned first was Matt Nagy. But now that the Bears have Justin Fields, that has bought him a little bit of time. Like I, He's going to get at least one more full year, maybe more. So I think that in terms of alternatives that could get canned before Zach Taylor, I can't see anybody else. Because most of the teams that had coaches on shaky ground made a change, right? The Jets have a new head coach. The Houston Texans have a new head coach. The Jags have a new head coach. In the NFC, now that you take Nagy off the board, I don't even know who you would say is maybe Cliff Kingsbury is on the shakiest ground, but I'm not sure that I don't think anything, you know, unless they're like 0 and 10, maybe he gets canned. But other than that, I think he's safe for the year. So, yeah, I think Zach Taylor is, is a good choice by you. I think Cliff is safe from a narrative standpoint in that the Cardinals fired Steve Wilkes after one season, right? So like they don't want the impression to be like they're moving on too quickly. I have in this my last point for this episode, I have a candidate for like a shake like that's a cool way to put it. Not cool. This is a terrible subject, but like an interesting way to put it, like the shaky ground candidate, um, the kind of surprising guy, like if his team utterly collapses to potentially be the first coach fired. Mike Zibber, I know you had the Minnesota Vikings as a potential playoff team um, in the NFC, but like they're kind of hovering, right? And and I, I do think the Kellen Mond thing is interesting. The Cowboys and Vikings play each other in week eight, uh, coming off of both of their buys. They're both on buy on week seven. And I think that that's a sneaky spot. If the Vikings are, say they go into their buy on week seven, like two and four, one and five, something like that. Like, And say like, and so typically something like that isn't necessarily like the coach's fault or the quarterback's fault. It's just like unfortunate things. Maybe they lose a game like on a last second field goal or a horrible call, or whatever. And it's just like, you're, it's just quicksand that's like eating you up, beating you up, beating you up. And then, you know, in a situation like this one, the head coach starts the rookie quarterback as like an act of desperation. Kind of like you said, Matt Nagy and obviously what will be Justin Fields. And like, that will be it. Like, Andy Dalton will start that week one game in Los Angeles, but the moment that Matt Nagy's job is on the line, he's going to Justin Fields. And that isn't quite the same for Mike Zimmer, but I could see if if things are unraveling. His his body of work is so large there with it not necessarily reaching the point that, that people want it to, that it, it could, like, I think he could be Dan Quinn last year. Right. Like where, where it's just it's rough. And it's like, remember the Falcons last year when they were losing? It was all these like it was the watermelon kick against Dallas. It was the crazy comeback that Chicago and Detroit had. And so I think that, you know, Mike Zimmer is in that that boat of possibility. Do you think that, could you see that happen? If you asked me last year, I would have said yes, because I heard a lot of rumblings about Mike Zimmer being on shaky ground, including from Mike Florio, who I trust when it comes to the Minnesota Vikings what Mike says about the Vikings, I, I take to the bank. Um, he did get a new three-year contract in July, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's totally safe for sure. I don't think they're going to be that bad, though. That's the thing. Kirk Cousins has a level, a standard of performance there that he delivers, which is generally like 4,200 yards and 30 touchdowns. They're never going to be hideously bad. And so I, I think that Zimmer's going to be okay. 
I mean, Mike Zimmer, first of all, I hope that I'm wrong about this just because he's an awesome head coach and it took way too long for him to get his head coaching opportunity. Do you know what year this is for him in charge of the Minnesota Vikings? Eight. This is year number eight. And last season, seven and nine, 2019, 10 and six, 2018, Kirk Cousins' first year, they're eight, seven and one. In the three years that they've had with Kirk, uh, with Kirk Cousins, they've won 25 games. You know, like, I mean, they had the great year in 2017, obviously, but if we exclude that because it was a special year and, you know, now I'm being nitpicky, but if we exclude that, Mike Zimmer has won at least 10 games twice in those other six years. It's it's that time. Like, it's that time where you either got to do something incredible or the organization. And again, if I think we both believe that at the very latest, Aaron Rodgers is gone from the Green Bay Packers next year. Right? Like, in, we both believe there is an absolute, there's like a 1% chance he's on the Packers in 2021. There's a 0% chance he's on the Packers in 2022. So if, if we're trending in that direction and the Vikings look at this and say, man, Justin Fields is already like establishing himself and the Bears are kind of lining up. The Lions have all this draft capital built up for 2022. The Packers are about to collapse now is the time to make our move. Um, and so I think that that could happen. And I think that would be unfortunate. And I think that Mike Zimmer would probably be the first head coach hired in the next coaching cycle if it wasn't Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, the Eric Bieniemy thing continues to mystify me. Uh, it's it's stunning to me that he has not gotten a job. All he does is help orchestrate one of the best offenses in the entire league. But you're right. Like uh, you mentioned him when it comes to Cincinnati. Everybody knows that he's out there, right? So that if you're deciding on making a move and you know that he's out there because a lot of these owners, they like to make up their, their mind on who they're going to hire before they even fire the current coach. Like they mm-hmm. have a guy in mind most of the time and you can maybe start to make some inroads with that, you know, put out some feelers during the year. So they want to get the lay of the land there. Plus there's that expression too. The earlier you fire your head coach, the sooner your head coaching start uh, search starts for the next guy so that was very astute by you i'm going to end the show with a compliment to you so just just sit and enjoy that well i'll end with one more mega take if mike zimmer's fired obviously the cowboys are going to win at least 12 games in 2021 that means dan quinn's going to get an opportunity to be a head coach just because that's what happens if you're the head coach you take the path of going back down to the coordinator level boost yourself up, go get a new gig. So Dan Quinn, maybe Dan Quinn's the new Vikings head coach, right? Like, how about that perfect (laughs) symmetry? And Mike Zimmer returns to Dallas. There was a lot of, you know, connection to them after the 2019 season that maybe if he didn't get that extension you talked about, the Vikings were going to let go of him and the Cowboys were going to pursue him as their head coach and they fired Jason Garrett. But I could see him returning to be Mike McCarthy's defensive coordinator. Ooh, I had a lot of mega takes today. Yeah, you did. I, did you have a root beer before the show? Is that what happened? No, I've got one coming now. So that's why I was I was working for it. You know, I'm surprised uh, while we've been talking, there's been, I think you could tell me, like more light has entered my office. So like the the storm has passed. Um, so, and, and the storm, really, the dog didn't bark a single time. So he, he was soothed by the storm. Look at us. Well, there you go. Enjoy your Thursday, everybody. Crack a root beer. Celebrate. The storm is over. Enjoy your day, and we will talk to you next week.